Okay, so that's that's that. And then oh, so I'll I'll run a little bit. This is a little bit of a clip of him of his background. You know, I'm Eastern European. My family's from Hungary. Uh, they're immigrants. Uh, grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Very industrial. Like there was, I think, at one point, more Hungarians in Cleveland, Ohio, than any other city than Budapest. So it was wow. like a, it was like a little, uh, yeah. uh, as they say, Magyar, uh, you know, Hungarian nation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had that always sense of striving and achievement. So I, I started really early on working. Like I was 13 years old. Uh, my mom said, "Summer job, you got to get a job. You know, you got to learn yeah. work." <laughs> yeah. Which now sounds a little like indentured servitude. You know, uh, um, you know, kids today. I don't know if they're is always as ambitious or pushed that way by their parents. But my parents did believed in a strong worth ethic. So I early on started to work. I was a caddy at a golf course, which. So, you know, there was work, I was earning money, which was yeah. superb. But what I learned early on, it wasn't just the business currency, the knowledge of the job that mm -hmm. I uh, mastered, but it was the relationships. And even learning how to play golf, for example. So he was connected to, I guess, some pretty high flyers in Cleveland. And working uh, and interacting with people who were way above my pay grade and education and status in life at the time. My parents, uh, you know, we began from humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. And so that really taught me early on the value of connecting with people early on. And, and I've applied that sort of ethos ever since. So when I graduated from college, I went working for a large oil company. My yeah, a large oil company. So maybe that's BP because that's what Michael Caine said. Friends thought I said. And that's not on the LinkedIn, of course. Sold out uh, to a big oil company. Uh, worked in uh, marketing, worked yeah. in resources, had a nice set of experiences. And I thought, all right, this is pretty good. You know, I'm making good money. I had a really nice car, all those uh, things that you would expect uh, with that achievement. But I wasn't satisfied. I, I felt like, all right, having a good job is nice thinking about, uh, you know, getting married someday and having a family, you know, all, all of which was sort of, again, maybe my conditioned response on how you live your life, but I felt this burning desire to do more. And so yeah. even during the time when I was working full time early on, I, uh, I had side entrepreneurial things going on, businesses, and I was starting to do some already freelance kind of consulting. So I ended up in professional services, worked with a large, firm called Accenture uh, that's on my resume. And again, Accenture is a really important player in everything that's unfolding. Mm -hmm. And wow, did that my world explode because not only was I doing work, I was traveling all over the world, working with some of the most senior companies and leaders. It was really heady stuff. It was yeah. just amazing. Sometimes it was pinch me moments, right? So he was operating in some really high-level circles, and again, I, I'm sure that the, the the story that will be told is like, oh, well, he's an insider, and so he's he's going to bring up all of these inside information to us. But I would say, you know, it seems like everyone is obscuring his involvement with the organization. He's not really upfront about it. Uh, Children's Health Defense isn't really upfront about it. So if all of this stuff is happening covertly behind the scenes, like what does that mean for people who are um, – 
you know, members of Children's Health Defense, donors to Children's Health Defense, people who maybe don't give them money but are uh, following the work and, and believe in the work. What does it mean that there are these sort of things going on behind the scenes that seem somewhat questionable? And then, and then when we find out about them, what do we do? Because, you know, my frustration is, you know, I've had some conversations and there are people who are like, well, I can't say anything because, you know, I have these connections. And I think throughout the, 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 the last three years, there was a consolidation of the resistance under this umbrella such that people would be a, put in a position of not being able to ask these questions. Like what is the motivation beyond simply like, oh, an insider is gonna somehow benefit us. But then where are our principles on this? Um, you know, is, is that the right choice? Is that the best candidate to, to represent our interest as someone who is a, the global innovation person for Pfizer, you know, consumer healthcare um, that helped grow their brand with disruptive, innovative technology that then what? Like we know what that is. Um, you know, and it, again, I can for, you know, set aside him as an individual human being. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, he should forever, you know, pay penance, you know, on whatever that was that his past does. And who knows if it's continuing now, but you shouldn't be the figurehead of an organization that is doing something entirely different or in the face of that machine. Like it, it is inconsistent. And I, I feel like people who are, who, if, if there are people out there who are still believing in this as an organization, you have a responsibility to the other people who may not know this, if you're hearing this, to ask the question, what is up with this hire? What is this motivation? What is this idea of the, the cost benefit analysis of the baggage that comes with this hire? I think that's a really important thing to ask that we should be asking. Because he clearly enjoyed his time in the spotlight with the people who would be the people you know, in the, the meetings who are planning everything that's happening. And then that, that just gave me the foundation and my world went from, uh, you know, my parents were educated and hardworking, but I think when I grew up out of my system in Cleveland, Ohio, which is a great place to grow up, I started to see the world in different ways when I started to travel, which was uh, totally amazing and uh, enriched my life. And then gave me the sort of uh, confidence to want to do more, to help people yeah. be more innovative, creative, and so forth and so on. Yeah, so so his world got very big after he went. He, he was at Accenture. Um, we've got, here's his, here is his podcast, uh, Consulting Unplugged. <clears throat> I kind of zoomed in on that. Uh, I think my, my friends who are more in line with the esoteric symbolism, I think you could make something out of that. Uh, there's a, a circle and then there's a swooshy thing with a plug that I guess that is the unplugged, but to me it looks it looks quite Saturny if you ask me. Um, and again, we have the the electrical symbolism and then this is the the imagery uh, the, the, from his uh, Twitter. It's a framed print, I guess, in his office that is a spiral staircase that definitely has sort of a spiral vortex energy feel to it. And, um, you know, he just has all of the, you know, his clients. I'm assuming they're client lists. It's, it's, he's talking about like you could pay for his course and to get access to his materials to learn how to be a consultant's consultant, I guess. And, and most of these uh, the clients that are listed are clients that were already on the D&D website, DXD website. Uh, but there's a few extras. Salesforce is on this. So I'm assuming there must be a relationship there if he's promoting that. Um, Ford, 
and of course, Salesforce is behind the social impact dashboards. Uh, these are mostly ones that were already on the list. Uh, Her yeah, Hershey was on the list. Cornell, he has, uh, I think, an adjunct connection to Cornell as a lecturer. Corn Ferry, Deloitte. Deloitte is right up there with Accenture in terms of rolling all of this stuff out with digital identity. Um, Kraft, uh, Kraft and Hershey's. And, and then uh, this is a, an interview that he did, I think, last year. Uh, January of 2022, so a little over a year ago, uh, with uh, Joel Shapiro at the Kellogg Business School, and it's all about data analytics. And so, you know, that would be in line with the Salesforce clientele, and the data analytics are us living in a predictive modeling zone. Um, and let's see. So I'm just going to hit on a few things. This is a link from his website that talks about the Pfizer connection. Um, you know, it's a, it's a link to an article uh, from Business Times in May of 2021. So again, we were in the middle of the lockdowns, you know, and, and it talks about uh, how the health crisis has pushed companies to enhance their organizational performance. So in some ways, this is like a boon to hit, you know, the lockdowns were a boon for his, you know, disruptive transition innovation design thinking um, to get their companies like on the, the track for the new, the new normal. Uh, and then, and this is... Uh, further down in the article, it says, uh, be the change you want to see. Uh, it says, Andrew shared a success story of one of their clients. His team helped Pfizer Consumer Healthcare improve and diversify the pipeline of new products. Let me just say that again. His team helped Pfizer Consumer Healthcare improve and diversify the pipeline of new products. Okay, so we know what that means. Through aggressive growth strategies and innovation. Now ask yourself, if you're a supporter of children's health defense, you should be asking about this hire. Aggressive growth strategies and innovation for Pfizer Consumer Health. What did Andrew's team do? They developed and implemented a comprehensive global strategy and an innovation platform that extended beyond products and focused on new business models, service delivery, and customer experience. And then as a result, the client becomes the leading pharmaceutical and consumer healthcare company globally with double digit growth and successfully established a comprehensive and integrated network of champions com committed to making innovation a habit. This isn't a guy who just had some small position at Pfizer. I mean, the, you know, if you're gonna take him at his word, this, this was the person who put Pfizer, helped put Pfizer where it is now. Um, you know, and again, just this is from the LinkedIn, 2002 to 2005. And then I think the con then it continued probably through his firm. And I did locate a slide share from, I think, the iVibe. This is one of his colleagues at iVibe, David Lipsky. Uh, and it's the case story with Pfizer, building a culture of innovation. Innovation champions, special rewards and recognition. Um the challenge was a lack of innovation focus and alignment, lack of participation and engagement, ineffective new product development process, right? Okay, um, lack of innovation, leadership and governance. Our solution, you know, they came up with a solution, designed and developed a Pfizer-specific innovation process, uh, uh, redesigned global and regional innovation metrics, Sounds like something for favor success. Designed a team and individual-based rewards. That's what the organizational people do. They figure out how to nudge you. 
um, to highlight success and reinforce innovative behavior. So this is behaviorism, right? This is corporate behaviorism. And as a result, a robust, aligned, motivated network of 100 plus innovation champions who drove 1.5 billion in incremental revenue in three years. <coughs> Revolutionary new category growth and product innovations such as Listane pocket packs, Listerine pocket packs and Rolade soft shoes, right? We all need a little bit more antacid um, and fresh breath. Uh, tripled the value of the company in three years. Okay, so yeah, all they needed were the right reward systems, right? The right innovation and the right reward systems. And, you know, it's interesting because in the interview on, on Spotify with Michael Caine and uh, Andrew Peck, they talk about, he talks about meeting up with Mary Holland and they met at the the Bergen, uh, Rockland County meetups that they had, you know, in their yard and, you know, they were working on their various advocacy projects. And so I'm assuming, you know, one of his firms is in Palisades, New York. Uh, he must live sort of in the border of, you know, northern New Jersey, borderline of, of, of New York State. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, uh, Pearl River, which is one of the, it's a 300, uh, I guess, well, I guess Pfizer owns 330 acres. They've developed 22 of them with five buildings. Uh, they, it's, it's one of their nine major research and development sites is also in Rockland County, you can see there. So, um, you know, because I noticed that northern New Jersey, when I was doing my research on Bell Labs, it's just, it's lousy with pharmaceuticals. So we've, we've got the Pfizer stuff and uh, BNP Paribas was one of the other clients. Now, I, I did a whole write-up here about BNP Paribas' investments in a pay-for-success finance deal uh, in Connecticut with low-income mothers who had addiction issues and their, their children were being threatened to take up take their children away from them and the Yale came up with some sort of intervention them peeing in a cup or whatever with some counseling but the problem is most of these women were very low income they were like trying to raise a family on ten thousand dollars a year and so they were self-medicating probably with drugs which isn't good but at the end of the pee for a cup stage um, it didn't really change the, the woman's uh, material situation at all and so you can see in this uh, blog post that I did a couple years ago, this is a New York Times article issuing bonds to invest in people. This is in uh, March 2018. A group of private and philanthropic investors led by European bank BNP Paribas invested in a social impact bond to fund a project in Connecticut. And again, Northern Connecticut and I mean, sorry, Northern New Jersey and Connecticut are where all the hedge funds are. So BNP Paribas was essentially leveraging uh, a moms, you know, low-income moms in addiction as part of their uh, innovation portfolio, right? And so here's a clip where uh, Mr. Peck is going to be talking about his his client BNP Paribas and how innovative they were in, in building client uh, customer relationships. And you know, I just sort of wonder about these moms in Connecticut. Would they be considered as customers or or what? Like, where do they fit into all of this disruptive innovation being? part of a, a giant, you know, global bank's portfolio. In the spring of 2017, I was asked by BNP Paribas, one of the leading global banks in the world, to help their top leaders transform themselves, to become more competitive, to become more innovative. They brought together the top 500 leaders segmented along seven top strategic priorities that range anything from technology to issues around compliance or customer services. The process that we use was design thinking. 
design thinking to help them first understand what are the key issues, what are the key insights related to that topic to build closer emotional ties to their customers. Now, yeah, think about building closer emotional ties. And these are the people who are putting these women um, into social impact finance deals. What BNP Paribas recognized as a result of this experience was there was this larger ecosystem of intelligence, meaning they had to connect with partners, thought leaders, customers, and themselves in order to generate new ideas that would help transform their culture. Okay, so that's BNP Priebus. Again, they are specifically involved in pay-for-six finance, targeting low-income women uh, in addiction. And then we've got... Uh, City Citibank is another one of uh, his clients, and you know they were working on innovative financing for development, which is the the global aid space, and they have a foundation, uh, and they were partnered up with Social Finance, which is Ronald Cohen's uh, program. Uh, at the time, it says uh, they so they were feeding money over to Social Finance for economic opportunity in San Francisco. This is in twenty eighteen. So. Um, you know, I guess this mostly covers uh, what I wanted to talk about, but, you know, I just, I want to emphasize there's something not right here when there's a, a mention, you know, a, a new member of an executive team of an organization that's supposed to be, uh, have be really strong values and position itself to be strong advocates for children and that they bring in someone who has a professional background that seems in direct contradiction to the goals of said organization. And when someone is trying, like myself, is, you know, legitimately trying to get clarification to make sure that I'm not misspeaking, that there's hedging going on. You know, again, I sent numerous text emails to try to clarify uh, that that Mr. Peck, his LinkedIn from D&D Partners was indeed the person at Children's Health Defense that did not go responded to. And yet, you know, there was, uh, you know, a, a, a rather... Uh, you know, week interview that was done, it seems like in response, honestly, to to my questioning uh, about the nature of his background. And it was his response was very weak other than, oh, in retrospect, maybe there were some things going wrong, but, uh, you know, my insider's knowledge will help reform the system. And, and that's that's sort of my takeaway from the, the interview that Michael Caine did on Friday with Mr. Peck. Uh, so I think, you know, oh, and I, I didn't mention, since he brought in his wife, like his wife is a partner in d and I will point out that she is, uh, identifies, this is her Twitter, Janine McGlade, as a wellness coach uh, and involved in corporate wellness as well. This is her uh, her website, wellness meditation, yoga and self-care, and it has a corporate wellness thing. Now, I don't know how big a thing that, that actually is. She has a Yoga RX copyright plan. So this seems like the kind of stuff, yeah, we'll pay you on blockchain to meditate and do yoga. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that she's specifically involved in that, but that's the direction that this stuff is all headed because they want us, you know, in their noosphere and they want our, our bodies and our minds part of their impact investment finance deals. Uh, so, you know, she, she is developing uh, things in this space around wellness, which I keep talking about. Not that I'm anti-wellness, but I certainly don't want to do it in the outside and robot. And I don't want it be, to be tied to HSBC or City or BNB Paribas or Barclays. You know, no thank you. And, you know, based on 
the consulting clients that Mr. Peck has has had over time, you know, I and, and Erickson, yeah, Erickson would be the one who would like set you up with your with your smart house where you can do your meditation and your wellness, and you know, you can get tokenized credits for that. Um, so anyway, that's 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 all I've got to say uh, for Mr. Peck. But I I would encourage folks if you. Um, you know, if you're a supporter of Children's Health Defense or Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign, that, you know, it's it's probably time to ask some hard questions. And again, not to vilify him as a person. Everybody's got stuff that's going on. Um, and, you know, we can over overcome our past. But with all of the possible candidates that you might bring in for an executive level position, the, the, the Pfizer connections and someone working for high finance and global pharmaceutical companies helping them maximize their profit flows, it just doesn't, the optics are not good. I'll just say that the optics are not good. So um, ask ask some questions about that. Definitely uh, ask some questions about uh, this February 2023 hire of, of Andrew Peck at Children's Health Defense. So anyway, thanks for listening.